sang that phrase, it, it makes me have a little bit of joy. And you'll have to excuse me. I'm, I'm, I don't know if it's cold or it is basketball season. And uh, we, we had a couple games this week. And so I, I may have yelled a little bit at the games and cheering the referees on and encouraging them to good works. Uh, I'll confess. And... Uh, uh, so if I, if I don't shake hands with you, if I don't stand at the back door today, it's because I'm not sure if this is a cold or if it's just not basketball season. And, uh, and that's what's going on. But as we sang that, that line, as the night's holding on to me, God's still holding on, what, what I'm thankful for is this, that my grip on God is not dependent on the strength of my grip. <laughs> uh, that, that, that my connection with God is based on his grip and his strength and his ability to, to hold me even when the storms are brewing. Aren't you thankful for that? <laughs> and, and God's got a good grasp on us. And as I, as I think about that, I, I think about the love, the grace, the mercy of God. Uh, how, you know, God is love <laughs> for God so loved. Uh, we're, we're here because God loves us and has, has demonstrated his love, has, has expressed his love through the gift of Jesus Christ. And, and so in this Christmas season, we always give. You know, we, 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 we give gifts. Uh, you know, I'm in the midst of, of Christmas holiday parties. I had one last night. We, we got a board dinner today. Then tomorrow I get to go to the district and, and I will be as partied out as I could be uh, by, by Tuesday morning. But, but you know, it's, it's in the midst of, of celebrating and, you know, in, in Christmas time you give gifts, you receive gifts and just, just that great season. And as I think about God's gift, the gift of his love, I wonder how can I re-gift God's gift, God's love? How can I give what God has given to me? And, you know, how, how can I continue this mission of God in this world? Um, Amy read scripture. It, it talked about the God that, that goes to the widow and the orphan and, 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 and the foreigner. And, and God goes to the orphan and the widow and the foreigner through you and I. That, that, that somehow God wants his love to translate into our lives into such a way that these aspects, these attributes of God are lived out in our life towards others. And, and so we've been talking about that this last week and we'll, we'll, we'll do this through uh, Christmas time. And we've been using Micah 6, uh, 6 through 8 as the template or the scripture that, that's kind of guiding the series. And God, speaking through the prophet, says these words, With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, old man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? <laughs> can, can, can you say those, that last phrase with me together? I think it'll be on the screen. Go ahead and flip it. Say that with me. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. <laughs> can, 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 I, can I tell you that... I, you know, I've read this scripture, I, I can't tell you how many times, and, but for some reason, 
I just can't get those words out of my head. You know, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. That this simple message of Micah to, to God's people that it's not about sacrificial systems, it's, it's not about religious activity, it's not about all these things that sometimes we get caught up in. But let's do justice, love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. And today we're going to talk about, you know, we're going to break it down. We're, we're, we, we'll talk over the next three weeks about doing justice. What will my life produce? And then we'll talk about next week about loving kindness. What will I pursue in life? And, and then the next week we'll talk about walking humbly with your God. Who sets the pace of my life? See, in, in Micah... God tells us how he wants us to live. So, so he's told us, and with Jesus, God shows us. And so God's told us, God had told him through, through the Old Testament, and then finally he sends Jesus, and Jesus enables us, and Jesus is our example for this life. And as we trace through the life of Jesus, I believe Jesus lives, Micah 6.8. I believe Jesus was a person whose life produced justice, who pursued kindness, who walked humbly with his God, with his Father. And so today we're going to talk about producing justice. And particularly, we're going to talk about what kind of justice did Jesus produce. And, and, and quite frankly, as, as, as I went through this, the, the, I, what we'll be doing in this series is, is, is we'll take those phrases and, and then we'll look at a passage dealing with Jesus. And quite frankly, and all these, all these little attributes, all these little things that Micah commands us to do, you, you could find countless or very a, a whole lot, many examples of Jesus uh, producing justice, of Jesus pursuing kindness, of Jesus letting God set the pace of his life. And, and, and so it's really the struggle for me as I went through this series and prepared for this series, was finding those stories that best exemplify Jesus producing justice, pursuing kindness, walking with God. And so this is kind of an interesting one. It's Matthew 21. And in a lot of ways, maybe there's better ones out there. But I think when we see the context of what's going on in Matthew 21, I think we'll see that in this passage, Jesus is less concerned with religious observation and more concerned with doing justice. Now, the context of this passage is it's, it, it's right after the triumphant entry. Um, J Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and Jesus knows that, that he's, going to be, um, he's going to be executed, he's going to be crucified. And so Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and he enters into the temple courts. And, and, and the context of this is that, that Jesus is being held as king, and he, he could have turned towards the Antonio Fortress and maybe led a rebellion, and they would have embraced him. But Jesus doesn't do that. 
Jesus turns towards the religious system and begins to critique in a very physical way all that they're doing. Verse 12 of chapter 21. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said, it is written... My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And then verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. See, Jesus is quoting Old Testament scripture here. And this is a combination of Scripture from Isaiah and Scripture from Jeremiah. And Isaiah 56, 7, the prophet says, God says to the prophet, My house shall be called a house of prayer. In Jeremiah 7, 11, it says, You have made my house into a den of robbers. And so Jesus is, is using both of these passages as he's driving out the money changers, um, as he's driving those who are um, selling the sacrifices. You know, in, in this day, what they would do is they were, there would be uh, sacrifices at the temple that you could purchase, and these sacrifices were considered sufficient. And these sacrifices would cost more than most sacrifices. And to buy these sacrifices, you would have to change your money to temple money. And you lost money when you would change your money into temple money. And so they were making money, the religious system, they were making money hand over fist through the sacrificial system that the people needed to be right with God. And most people, and I think Jesus is addressing a corrupt religious system. I think that's part of what Jesus is doing. That, 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 that Jesus is speaking to a corrupt system and saying, this is not what my father intended. He intended religion to be a, an, a place, the temple to be a place, the system to be a place where people found healing, not where they were misused and taken advantage of. But there's something deeper going on here. Because Jesus is not just addressing the money changers and the sellers of the goods, but Jesus is addressing everyone who is in the temple area. That he's not just driving out those who are selling the sacrifices, but he's also driving out those who are wanting to purchase the doves to sacrifice. See, Isaiah 56 and, and Jeremiah 7 share a very similar theme. Isaiah 56 begins with preserve justice and do righteousness. And then throughout Isaiah 56, God begins to talk about foreigners, people that were, would not have been welcome in the temple, being welcomed in his temple. In Isaiah 56, God talks about foreigners, Gentiles, 
as being worthy of his temple. In Isaiah 56, God talks about eunuchs being worthy of his temple. Now, now understand that these, to these kosher Jews, a Gentile and a eunuch in the temple was detestable. And yet God through the prophet Isaiah is saying, listen, those you consider detestable will be welcome in my temple. Preserve justice. Do righteousness. Make this place a house of prayer for all people. Not just those who are the elite of society. Not just those who make the most money. Not just those who have everything good. And then Jeremiah 7, 4 through 11 says this. Do not trust in deceptive words, saying this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly practice justice between man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, nor walk after other gods to your own ruin, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave, you, gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. What will you still murder and commit adultery and swear falsely and offer sacrifices to Baal and walk after other gods that you have not known? Then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by your name, and say we are delivered, that you may do all these abominations. Has this house which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight. Behold, I, even I have seen it, declares the Lord. In other words, Jeremiah is saying to the people, you're stealing, you're killing, you're committing adultery, you're worshiping other gods. And on equal footing, he's saying, you're not practicing justice you're not killing, caring for the orphan and the alien and the widow and then you come into my temple and begin to think that you can hide out in your religious practices and be okay you know what's a den of robbers I want you to think about that for a little bit. Is a den of robbers the place where the crimes are committed it's the place where they hide out, right? <laughs> and what Jeremiah is saying is, listen, you're doing all sorts of awful things out there, and then you're coming to the temple because it makes you feel all warm and fuzzy and good, and you're giving your offerings, and you're offering your sacrifices, and you're lifting your hands with praise. And yet outside these walls... You're doing things that are offensive to God. And you're not doing the things God has called you to do. I, I've called you to be just, to care for the broken. They're 
hiding in their religion. But it doesn't end there. Christmas sermons should be happier, shouldn't they? I'm sorry, folks. Ho, ho, ho. There we go. (laughs) Verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. The context of that is dynamite. That, that, That Jesus has chased out all these religious folks who are going through the motions, that the religion is making them feel better about themselves. He's chased them out of the temple, and now he is surrounded by the broken and the forgotten and those on the outside, on the margins, and he begins to heal them. You know, it's not completely clear the context here. It it really isn't. That, that, that where is Jesus when this happens? That most likely, as a matter of fact, almost 100, I'm 100%, almost 100% sure where he drives out the money changers is in the court of the Gentiles. It's the outside court. It's the place where the women could be. It's the place where the Gentiles could be. It's the place where the lepers could be if, if, the, if they were cleansed to the, to, to the point that they were waiting for a final blessing from the priest to say that you're clean enough to come into the inner court. But most likely, where, where Jesus drives out the money changers, it's, it's in the outer court, not the inner court. But the question is, where did the lame and the blind come? See, see, there's some that suggest that that Jesus then enters into the inner court and those who were not allowed in the inner court, the lame and the blind. It sounds awful to us, doesn't it? We can't begin to conceive a a religion where, where those who are broken cannot cannot enter in. But but in the time of Jesus, the lame and the blind were not allowed into the inner court. As a matter of fact, King David had said, the lame and the blind are detestable to the Lord. I don't think David's right. And so some suggest that Jesus has come into the inner court and he's invited with him those that were not allowed to be in the inner court and he's healing them. Now, I got to tell you, that makes a lot of sense because if you read a little bit further down, the the religious leaders are completely offended at Jesus at this point. And they become set to crucify him as soon as possible, even though they really don't want to do it during their Passover feast. They don't want to do it now. It's not according to their timing. Because they're afraid of the crowds, and yet they become so set that what was a plan becomes urgent. Either way. 
Jesus is lifting and healing the outcasts, those who were rejected by the religious order of his day. This is called redemptive justice. Over and over in the life of Jesus, you see Jesus practicing what is called redemptive justice, lifting people. See, see, there's a difference between redemptive justice and retributive justice. You know, retributive justice, think retribution. And there's a place for retribution. There's a place for retributive justice. I'm thankful that in our system, when people do atrocious things, there's a price to be paid, right? Last night, somebody shot a police officer in Houston, Texas. There should be a judgment for that, right? Right? We, we, we're, when I'm talking about these things, I'm, I'm not saying, hey, there's never a place for, 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 for this kind of judgment. But Jesus primarily does not practice this type of judgment. In fact, Jesus, John 3.17, Jesus says, For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, to condemn the world, but to save the world. And so the mission of Jesus was primarily focused on this redemptive justice, this, this, this redemptive justice that lifts. And so in Matthew 21, you, you have this contrast. You have Jesus addressing the religious, religious people of his day that, that have come into the temple to make themselves feel better and not do the right things outside the temple. And Jesus rejects that. And yet Jesus begins to lift up those who otherwise were forgotten. Okay, can we go back to where we began this? God tells us do justice. God shows us through Jesus what it means to do justice. He, he is our model, right? Do we believe that ordinary people following Jesus? Jesus is our model. And the mission of Jesus is our mission. What, what Jesus was called to do, we are called to do. Do justice. Now, now, now we've talked a lot about justice, and, and I said in this series that I'm not going to focus on that as much as that, that word. I'm going to focus on the do word. See, see, this word is a produce word. God's not saying, and, and Jesus didn't just do this, it's not, don't just be unjust, okay? Uh, don't, don't be unjust. It, it's, it's not a passive thing. It's a call to actively produce something with your life. Um, it's not just talking about justice. Is anyone else sick of our political leaders talking about things and not doing anything? Talk is cheap. And what God's saying here is, hey, he's not saying this. Hey, I want you guys to talk about justice an awful lot. 
I want you to think about justice. I want you to root justice on. I want you to support justice. I want you to prefer justice. I, I want you to agree that justice is better. No. God says, do justice. Produce justice with your life. Can, can I give you a little phrase that, that as I started thinking about this part of the series, I, I, I think is important? Doing nothing produces nothing. Doing nothing produces nothing. And if the command is to do justice and we're doing nothing to produce justice, then there's no way we can say that we're following what God has commanded us to do in Micah 6.8. We are called to produce justice. So let me ask you, and this is a hard one, does your life produce justice? Do you lift others, particularly those on the margins, particularly those others have forgotten, with your life? It is built into the routine of your life times where you lift people that others have forgotten. You know, I think of um, Emily and our single mother meal ministry. That, that is a perfect example of somebody doing justice with your, their life. That they're saying, okay, I, I see your circumstances. I, I, I know how hard that is. And, and what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to deliver a meal. I, I'm going to lift you just a little bit. It's, it's, not, not, you know, it's not every day, but, but I'm going to lift you. I'm going to produce some, some justice through your life. I, I think about the, um, the angel tree and, and, and the ministry for, for prisoners' kids. That, you know, these are innocents. You realize life's not fair, right? Life's not fair. And there's people, and I can't think of a more innocent group than kids, that because of the actions of others have injustice and unfairness in their life, that, that they deserve to be lifted, and God commands His people over and over. Remember the orphan. Remember the widow. Remember the foreigner. Remember those who are powerless, and you who have power, do something to remedy that. Angel tree is a ministry, and I hope you participated, where, where you could lift someone in their circumstances. As I thought about this message, you guys know what Darwinism is? What's Darwinism? What, what's what's the, the, the singular principle, the central principle of Darwinism is this? Survival of the fittest. Right? That, 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 the, that the fittest survive and the rest are no more. And we are better because the fittest survive. Folks in the church, we are not Darwinist. Christianity is anti-Darwinism. 
In Christianity, through Jesus Christ, we say the fittest lift the weakest. That the fittest, when God gives them opportunity and resources, don't leave them where they are, but they use their resources and their fitness to lift other people. That is justice. Yeah, I thought about this. We, we've got your, I think in the bulletin, I didn't look at the bulletin today, Stephanie, is, is, the, is the neighborhood map in your, in your bulletin. You know, we're, we're, we're connecting this with Love You See and, and the art of neighboring. And, and so in your bulletin, there's the, the little neighborhood thing. And, and uh, I, I'd like you to take that out of your bulletin. You've got it. Just look at it. Is there a place on that diagram where you can produce justice? Is there, a, is there a single mother in your neighborhood that, that you see week to week that's struggling to do the things that they have to do by themselves? That perhaps you could take steps to actively produce justice, to do justice in their life? You know, th- th- this isn't this isn't evangelism 101 where you're doing justice to somehow convert them. Okay? If you convert them, great. But God's call to do justice is beyond that. God's call to do justice is so we can be converted and continue to be converted. You, you understand that, right? Did I not say that clear enough? We're called to do these things because God calls us to do these things and Jesus practiced these things. Can I be honest? Can I? I don't know how you perceive pastors come up here and and prepare for messages. Um, can, Can I tell you, most of the time, God's got his thumb in my back probably more than your back. And I got to tell you, probably why I've heard do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God over and over in my mind for the past month or so is because God is working on me with this. The, the, The truth is, I talk about justice more than I do justice. you still love me? The the truth is that this is extremely convicting for me. That that I don't want to stand up here before you and say, okay, you guys do justice, and I'll go back to my office and pray about it for you. But I want to be somebody that God uses and can use, and I can be a person that redemptively lifts others where they are. So so the truth is that as I stand before you and preach this, I'm lacking. The truth is that probably if we were honest, I'm not the only one. 
that the routine of lifting others, let's put it this way. Say, the, 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 the guy communicators say, if you smile, truth is that probably in the church most of us are more comfortable with religious activities going to the temple buying the sacrifices going through the motions than we are with doing justice as a routine part of our life and it makes us feel good and it lifts us up and we think we've done our part I believe God's called us. I believe God's called me. <laughs> Somebody just came in that back door. And I believe God's called you to more. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Doing nothing produces nothing. Doing nothing produces nothing. God is calling us to do justice. Altars are always available. As a matter of fact, I think I'm going to stop here for a couple minutes before I go to the back of the, the room, and then Pastor Bob's going to come and close us in prayer.